There is a long tradition in the Christian church of hearing the Epiphany proclamation each year as we remember um, the year of our Lord. And so we begin with that today. Dear, dearly beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, the glory of the Lord has shone upon us and will ever manifest itself among us until the day of his return. Through the rhythms and changes of time, let us call to mind and live in the mysteries of salvation. This year of our Lord, 2023, commenced on the first day of January, being the feast of the circumcision and name of our Lord. The center of the whole liturgical year is the Paschal Triduum of the Lord, crucified, buried, and risen, which will culminate in the solemn vigil of Easter during the holy night that will end with the dawn of the ninth day of April. Every Sunday, as in a weekly Easter, Christ's holy church around the world makes present that great and saving deed by which Christ has forever conquered sin and death. From Easter there comes forth and are reckoned all the days we keep holy. There will be four Sundays after the Epiphany, until Septuagesima Sunday, which will occur on the 5th of February. Ash Wednesday, the 22nd of February, begins the sacred 40 days of Lent. Forty days after the resurrection of our Lord, his ascension into heaven will be recalled on the 18th of May. The descent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles at Pentecost will be celebrated on the 28th of May. The feast of the most holy and blessed Trinity will be observed on the 4th of June. There will be 25 Sundays after Trinity until on the 3rd of December, being the first Sunday in the advent of our Lord, a new year of grace will begin. To Christ who was, who is, and who is to come, the Lord of time and history, the endless praise, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You know the story of Christmas. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. God has taken on human flesh in order to redeem sinful humanity. But that news isn't going to do anyone any good if it isn't preached and shared. The news has to go out. So the Holy Spirit will do his work. He will call by the gospel. Everyone in today's gospel lesson is called by the gospel. The Magi, Herod and all Jerusalem, the chief priests and scribes, and you and me. Now, first, we hear today of the Magi. And our ESV uses the unfortunate translation of wise men. But that's wrong. And in fact, that term doesn't even get applied to them until the Renaissance. Well, maybe you've heard of we three kings. So maybe, maybe they are kings. But they only begin to be associated with kings in the fifth century. So who are these men? Well, the Greek tells us they are magi. It's where we get our word magician. These men are practicers of the dark arts, occultists, fortune tellers, astrologers, pagans. Now, the Bible never says that those who believe this way 
are wise. In fact, the Bible says that these kind of men are fools. And yet, God still seeks them. He calls them by sending them a sign in the heavens. And notice that when God calls them, it's not after they've given up their wickedness. They haven't stopped being sorcerers. They haven't stopped misusing God's name. They haven't stopped trying to learn wisdom from the stars or seeking to interpret signs on the earth. The Holy Spirit rather calls them in the very midst of their sin. Indeed, he calls them by means of the way that they are sinning against him. And this begins to show us the heart of God towards sinners. Nothing will stand in the way of his call, and no sinner is too far gone to be saved. And so this is a source of comfort for those of us with loved ones who deny Christ. The Lord is still calling them, and there is still time. And even in the midst of whatever trouble our loved ones may know, God calls them, even through the way that they are sinning against him. Now, of course, we don't want to hear this as an excuse for us to sin. It's not as though we steal with the implicit hope that God will grant us the opportunity to steal something that brings us further into the faith or or that we should go and curse our neighbor with the hope that those vile words about God and neighbor will suddenly bring us a new revelation about God. Just because God called the Magi by the way they were sinning against him, we don't seek out sin in hopes of finding God there. Now, the Magi see this star in the sky, and there's various speculations on how the Magi know what it means. Some point to the oracle of Balaam in Numbers. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Some base their argument on an idea that these men were from Persia, which is where the prophet Daniel was exiled. And it's claimed that Daniel started a theological school there, and so these magi, as students of all religions, would have studied the Old Testament with great earnestness. Still others speculate that God told them via special revelation or some other word or prophet that we don't have in our scriptures. But in whatever manner they know what this star represents, they now follow it. But the star only gets them so far, at least for now. Now, they're, they're in the right neighborhood, but they don't know where to find Jesus. Well, they, they call him the king of the Jews, and well, where, where does one find a king? But in a palace. So they come to Jerusalem. Now, in those days, it wouldn't have been safe to travel in a small group, and their gifts show us that these men had great wealth. In fact, it's probably even their regular breaking of the second commandment that made them so wealthy to begin with. And so they come probably not in a small group, but with servants and armed guards, with camels and horses. And this is the image that we have from Isaiah. 
A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. And so they come to meet Herod. Now, Herod was an Edomite, descended from Esau, the brother of Jacob, the brother of the Israelites. So he's not a Jew, and yet he claimed for himself the title King of the Jews. So you can imagine how the Magi's search for the newborn King of the Jews would have been received. But even more than that, Herod was something of a puppet king, and he had just defeated the Persians in battle. And so now comes this massive entourage of magicians and servants, camels and horses, right to his palace gates. And they want to know where to find some other king. So, of course, Herod was perplexed. He was confused. He was afraid. He was troubled. King Herod was also a fearful man who governed only by power. If there was even a whiff of a rebellion against him, out would come the sword. And it didn't matter to him if even his own sons died as a result. In fact, it was said that it was safer to be a pig in Herod's house than his own son. So it's not just Herod who is troubled. Jerusalem is troubled too. They don't know how this is going to end. Now consider what the Magi have found so far. They have followed the star, but the star didn't get them to the Christ. So they needed something else. So to the revelation that they had about the star, they add this, their own reason. Reason says that kings are born in kings' houses. Reason says that this is where Christ will be found. But their reason, darkened by their own sin, cannot get them to Jesus. Instead, their reason has actually led them astray. Reason has led them to a murderous madman, a madman who will conscript them in his plot to murder the Christ. Now, in one of his sermons on Epiphany, Martin Luther makes a big point about this. He observes that the Magi are seeking Christ, but they are seeking him apart from the scriptures. And if you seek God apart from his promises, you will find a God who does not have God's promises. That is, you will find the devil. And of all the people we encounter in the New Testament, Herod is probably the closest that we have to an agent of the devil. So when you seek God without his word, you will not find a God who rules by grace, but one who rules by fear. You will not find a God of life, but a God of death. The Magi seeking Jesus have lost sight of the word, and now they go astray. Seeking only according to reason, they find Herod. And yet, 
Herod seems to know quite a lot more about what is going on. Notice how their conversation goes. The Magi ask where to find the king of the Jews, and Herod then inquires where the Christ is to be born. Somehow he recognizes the office of Christ. Whatever it is the Magi meant or thought they meant, Herod knew that they were seeking the Messiah, and he doesn't doubt that the Messiah has been born. And not only that, he knows to consult those who know the scriptures. So the Magi had sought the Christ apart from the scriptures and found a devil. But what happens when Herod now seeks for the Christ in the scriptures? What does he find? We know that Herod sees everything in terms of power. So he's seeking military intelligence on the one that he perceives as a political enemy. He's interested in one thing and one thing only, the temporal preservation of his physical throne. And he will maintain it by any means necessary. So his response to God's word is not faith, but fear. And you know how he later lashes out in anger. Herod has rejected the Messiah proclaimed to him in the scriptures. He has rejected the call of the Holy Spirit. Herod cannot conceive of Jesus as anything other than a political rival. But what if he had? What if Herod had somehow understood that the kingdom of Jesus is not of this world? What if he believed that Jesus was another kind of king? I suspect it would have simply made him more afraid, as it does for his son at Jesus' trial. And fearful men fall prey to wicked schemes. In fact, it always seems good in the moment to do the expedient, immoral thing, to take the easy way out, the path of least resistance, the way that gets me out of trouble, even if others get hurt along the way. Well, now now the scriptures have been consulted. The Lord's word has revealed the truth, and everyone knows where to find baby Jesus. In fact, the way the text reads, it seems as if the chief priests and scribes already know the answer. They don't have to go and search the scriptures and study and figure it out. They have an answer ready for Herod. And now they have just learned that the scriptures have been fulfilled. God is bringing the history of his people to a grand conclusion, and he himself has been born as one of them. And yet none of them will go and look for Jesus that night. They're only a few miles away, and yet they remain in Jerusalem. Why? What could compel someone who has waited and waited for God's promise to be fulfilled to just not go and see? Is it fear? Fear of what he will demand of them? Fear that he won't be exactly how they imagined? Maybe they wanted to hide from the reality that there is a new king. Those who stay behind in Jerusalem are at least indifferent. They're not angry like Herod, raging against anything that might threaten their way of life. 
And yet, they are unwilling to go to Jesus, unwilling to listen to his word. They are interested in other things. The people of Jerusalem, too, though they have been stirred up by the news from the Magi, can't be bothered to get out of bed and go and check it out. It's a strange sort of opposite to those shepherds on Christmas who hear the angels' song and want to go immediately to see the thing that had happened, that the Lord had made known to them. The star was there, but no one in Jerusalem paid attention. Now, maybe they didn't understand the star, but now they have God's word, too. And yet they fall into apathy and indifference. Maybe it's the idea that they like their God at just the right distance, close enough to help, but far enough away that he doesn't scrutinize their lives too closely. When God is up in heaven, you can view him as an abstract reality. But now when he takes up human flesh, then you have to confront what he says. So the people of Jerusalem thought so long as they could keep their idea of God somewhere out there, he wouldn't have anything to say to them. And maybe that was the way they liked it. And yet, the word about the child has been proclaimed. There is utter and complete agreement among everyone in Herod's castle that the Christ has been born in Bethlehem. And yet, it is only the magicians and the sorcerers who hear God's word and believe it and go and worship. For now, with the word of God firmly planted in their hearts, the magi turn away from the place their reason had led them. They abandon Herod and Jerusalem, and they go to Bethlehem to find Jesus. They seek Jesus according to his word, Now the star reappears, but only to confirm the scriptures that they had heard. And coming to the house, they find what they seek. Or do they? For they do not find a child dressed in fine linen and surrounded by servants. They do not find an army defending him. There is no castle. He doesn't even glow or have a halo over his head. His parents are nothing special. He's surrounded by humble means. He doesn't look much like God. In fact, what they find is a baby in diapers who hasn't learned to talk yet. But this, this they know is Christ the King. They know he is the eternal word who created all things. He is the redeemer of the world. So acknowledging what the scriptures have revealed... They worship. These men, known for their knowledge and worldly wisdom, now submit to the word of God and fall on their faces in front of a toddler who can't even speak yet. The word drives them to their knees, not in fear, but in worship, not in terror, but with exceeding great joy. Our confessions tell us that the highest worship of God is faith, that is, to receive what God gives. Because of what these magi know from the scriptures, they worship. Thus, they receive what God gives them there. They behold and receive salvation. 
And when they are warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they believe God's word, and they are ready to defy Herod and to die. Now, we aren't told in the text that these magi then went and gave up their sorcery and divination, but I suspect they did, because they have found the Christ according to his word. He is their salvation, and they will hold fast to this word that gives them faith. That little promise from Micah would have become the most precious thing to them in all the world. And I expect they would have kept reading. In doing so, only ten verses later they would have found this. I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. They would have heard the Lord calling them to repentance for their misusing of his name. And faith in God's word would lead them to repent. So I think we can say with confidence that these former magicians are now our brothers in Christ. Now, maybe you've seen that bumper sticker that says, wise men still seek him. Well, we know from earlier that these magi weren't wise. They were fools. Only the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They weren't wise. That means it wasn't, they weren't the ones doing the seeking. It was Christ. Christ the Lord was pursuing and calling them in order to give them salvation. For consider what God did to bring these foreign pagans to faith. God took a star and moved it around in order to bring them where Jesus was. Now we know from our understanding of physics that stars don't move that way. And some have tried to argue that this was an alignment of planets. But the text makes clear that the star disappeared and reappeared. It moved around and stopped. Now, however God accomplished this, he probably broke some of his own physical laws to bring this about. He took a flaming ball of gas in the sky and just moved it from place to place, turning it on and off. But consider what happened as a result. The Lord brought the Magi to Jerusalem that night so that Herod and the chief priests and scribes and all Jerusalem would have the opportunity to hear the gospel? Or what about when the Lord chose Mary? She was living in Nazareth. Yet you know from prophecy that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. Now, it would have been far easier for God to just choose a woman who lived in the right town. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't even tell Mary and Joseph to go and move to Bethlehem. Instead, he puts a new Caesar on the throne, and then he puts into Caesar's mind that it would be a good idea to have a census, and everyone, in order to do that, should go to his own hometown. Now, I think this really makes us marvel. And and I think it also gives us a bit of peace about all the chaos that we see in the political world today that we can know that God is still on his throne and that he's rearranging things in this world for his own purposes. And what, dear saints, about you? What has the Lord done in your life and in the lives of others and in the world to call you to faith, to bring you to this confession and congregation? 
How many things did God have to set in order in history in order to bring his word to you? How many famines or wars or religious persecutions or property tax changes or storms did the Lord set in place to bring you here today? Very few of you grew up Lutheran in Lynchburg, and yet the Lord has brought you to this place and put you in fellowship with one another. You have not come to this faith or this place by your own reason and strength. The Holy Spirit has called you by his gospel. He enlightens you with his gifts and sanctifies and keeps you with the holy Christian church in Christ Jesus. We heard today how the Magi are brought to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And now he is their altar at which they worship. Though he cannot speak, he gives them faith by his written word. And thus, these magi receive what they worship. They receive Jesus. Yet the others we met in this text also belong to a confession. They all worship something, and each one receives what he worships. Herod is a slave to fear. The chief priests and scribes are paralyzed by apathy and indifference. But the Magi, with God's word, receive salvation. And so it is for you. You are brought to Jesus by his word. You present your offerings to him. And in a few minutes, you will heed the call of the Holy Spirit and do as his word invites. For you will fall down and worship him at his altar in his flesh and blood. And there he will give you what you worship for he will give you himself. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. The peace of God keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.